Jane Austen's Emma, Volume 3, Part 2, Chapters 4 through 6. Chapter 4 is primarily concerned with some silliness on Harriet's part, although there is an important conversation between Emma and Harriet that takes place near the end of the chapter that will have some future repercussions. It is now a few days after the adventure with the gypsies. Harriet comes to Emma with a small parcel in her hand. On the top she had written, Most Precious Treasures, and Emma is curious about what the box contains. Upon Harriet's opening the box, the first treasure is a little piece of court plaster. Court plaster was a kind of adhesive substance used to cover cuts or scratches, a kind of forerunner of the modern Band-Aid. This is quite a humble object, but it had all the meaning in the world to Harriet. Emma, however, does not understand its significance, and Harriet exclaims, I should not have thought it possible you could forget what passed in this very room about court plaster one of the very last times we ever met in it. It turns out that Mr. Elton had cut his finger, and Emma had recommended this little court plaster bandage. Emma could not find any, but Harriet had some, so she cut off a piece and gave it to Mr. Elton. It was too large, so he had cut it down and had been playing with the leftover piece before giving it to Harriet, who had saved it. The other object was the end of an old pencil, the part without any lead. This recalled the day when Mr. Elton had been there and was trying to write a memorandum in his pocketbook, that is, a little notebook that gentlemen would carry. Mr. Knightley had been telling Mr. Elton something about brewing spruce beer, and Mr. Elton had attempted to write it down. He had tried to sharpen his pencil with a pocket knife, but there was only a small amount of lead, and it had been cut away. So Emma had lent him another pencil, and Harriet had retrieved this small stub that Mr. Elton had left on the table and saved it as a memento of him. Harriet is now ready to throw these precious treasures into the fireplace and move on, as we might say. As she does so, Harriet says, There it goes, and there is an end, thank heaven, of Mr. Elton. And when, thought Emma, will there be a beginning of Mr. Churchill? Emma believes that what has precipitated Harriet's being able to move on is her rescue by Mr. Churchill. She is again up to her matchmaking scheme. Harriet and Mr. Elton had not worked out, but maybe there's a possibility with Mr. Churchill, especially now that Emma believes that she herself is no longer in love with him and he is no longer in love with her. Harriet is babbling about someone who is so superior to Mr. Elton, which only reinforces Emma's belief that Harriet must indeed be speaking of Frank. Harriet says, quote, Oh, Miss Woodhouse, believe me, I have not the presumption to suppose, indeed, I am not so mad, but it is a pleasure to me to admire him at a distance and to think of his infinite superiority to all the rest of the world with the gratitude, wonder, and veneration which are so proper in me especially, End quote. In other words, she feels that she is not on the same social level as the one she admires, and therefore she is only fit to admire him at a distance. Emma replies, I am not at all surprised at you, Harriet. The service he rendered you was enough to warm your heart. Service! Oh, it was such an inexpressible obligation. 
They go on talking about this, and Emma says, Let no name ever pass our lips. We were very wrong before. We will be cautious now. He is your superior, no doubt, and there do seem objections and obstacles of a very serious nature. But yet, Harriet, more wonderful things have taken place. There have been matches of greater disparity. But take care of yourself. I would not have you too sanguine. Though, however it may end, be assured your raising your thoughts to him is a mark of good taste, which I shall always know how to value. At Emma's prompting, the two thus promise not to speak the name. Emma obviously thinks Harriet must have been referring to Frank Churchill and the service he rendered her by rescuing her from the gypsy children. But is it possible that Harriet may have someone else in mind? In Chapter 5, Mr. Knightley seems to dislike Frank more and more. This is an important chapter with regard to a few of the novel's mysteries. At times, you need to treat it like a detective novel. Early in the chapter, Mr. Knightley is describing his distaste for Frank Churchill, beginning to suspect him of, quote, some inclination to trifle with Jane Fairfax. He could not understand it, but there were symptoms of intelligence between them. He thought so, at least. Symptoms of admiration on his side, which, having once observed, he could not persuade himself to think entirely void of meaning however he might wish to escape any of Emma's errors of imagination. She was not present when the suspicion first arose. He was dining with the Randalls family and Jane at the Eltons, and he had seen a look, more than a single look, at Miss Fairfax, which, from the admirer of Miss Woodhouse, seemed somewhat out of place, end quote. Mr. Knightley shares with Emma his suspicion of there being something of a private liking of private understanding, even, between Frank Churchill and Jane. Mr. Knightley had joined Emma at Hartfield, and he is out walking with Emma and Harriet. The group joins Mr. and Mrs. Weston and Miss Bates and her niece. As they were turning into the grounds, Mr. Perry passed by on horseback. The gentleman spoke of his horse. By the by, said Frank Churchill to Mrs. Weston presently, what became of Mr. Perry's plan of setting up his carriage? Mrs. Weston looked surprised and said, I did not know he ever had any such plan. Nay, I heard it from you. You wrote me word of it three months ago. Me? Impossible. Indeed you did. I remember it perfectly. You mentioned it as what was certainly to be very soon. Mrs. Perry had told somebody and was extremely happy about it. It was owing to her persuasion, as she thought his being out in bad weather did him a great deal of harm. You must remember it now. Upon my word, I never heard of it till this moment. Never? Really? Never? Bless me, how could it be? Then I must have dreamt it. But I was completely persuaded. Miss Smith, you walk as if you were tired. You will not be sorry to find yourself at home. What is this? What is this? cried Mr. Weston. About Perry in a carriage? Is Perry going to set up his carriage? Frank? I am glad he can afford it. You had it from himself, had you? No, sir, replied his son, laughing. I seem to have had it from nobody. Very odd, end quote. Mr. Perry is the local physician, so there is a little mystery here. Frank Churchill has heard from someone about Mr. Perry's plan to set up his carriage, a rather expensive undertaking. Now along comes Miss Bates 
in one of her rambles, and she says, I must acknowledge that there was such an idea last spring, for Mrs. Perry herself mentioned it to my mother, and the Coles knew of it as well as ourselves, but it was quite a secret, known to nobody else, and only thought of about three days. Mrs. Perry was very anxious that he should have a carriage, and came to my mother in great spirits one morning because she thought she had prevailed. Jane, don't you remember Grandmama's telling us of it when we got home? I forget where we had been walking to, very likely to Randall's. Yes, I think it was to Randall's. Mrs. Perry was always particularly fond of my mother. Indeed, I do not know who is not. And she had mentioned it to her in confidence. She had no objection to her telling us, of course, but it was not to go beyond. And from that day to this, I never mentioned it to a soul that I know of. At the same time, I will not positively answer for my having never dropped a hint, because I know I do sometimes pop out a thing before I am aware. I am a talker, you know. I am rather a talker. And now and then, I have let a thing escape me, which I should not. I am not like Jane. I wish I were. I will answer for it. She never betrayed the least thing in the world. Where is she? Oh, just behind. Perfectly remember Mrs. Perry's coming. Extraordinary dream indeed. End quote. There is a mystery here about Mr. Perry's carriage. Keep in mind who knew about the plan for the carriage and who might have told Frank about it. As the party retires to shelter, it looks like it will rain. They spend some time in word games. And you might recall that wordplay is one of the recurring motifs of the novel. Frank Churchill suggests this by asking Emma if her nephews have taken away their boxes of letters. She retrieves the box and scatters the letters so that the members of the party can use them to form scrambled versions of words for their partners to guess. Quote, Frank Churchill placed a word before Miss Fairfax she gave a slight glance round the table and applied herself to it. Frank was next to Emma, Jane opposite to them, and Mr. Knightley so placed as to see them all, and it was his object to see as much as he could with as little apparent observation. The word was discovered and with a faint smile pushed away. It meant to be immediately mixed with the others and buried from sight, she should have looked on the table instead of looking just across, for it was not mixed. And Harriet, eager after every fresh word and finding out none, directly took it up and fell to work. She was sitting by Mr. Knightley and turned to him for help. The word was blunder. And as Harriet exultingly proclaimed it, there was a blush on Jane's cheek, which gave it a meaning not otherwise ostensible. Mr. Knightley connected it with the dream but how it could all be was beyond his comprehension. Disingenuousness and double-dealing seemed to meet him at every turn. These letters were but the vehicle for gallantry and trick. It was a child's play, chosen to conceal a deeper game on Frank Churchill's part. End quote. These last thoughts are Mr. Knightley's in the free, indirect style that we have discussed before. Mr. Knightley sees in Frank Churchill deception, and double dealing. The word play continues. Mr. Knightley sees Frank Churchill set up a word and show it privately to Emma. The word is Dixon. Frank then asks, with a glance toward Jane, I will give it to her, shall I? And Emma says, no, no, you must not. But of course he does, and Jane blushes, saying, I did not know that proper names were allowed, pushed away the letters with even an angry spirit, and looked resolved to be engaged by no other word that could be offered. Her face was averted from those who had made the attack and turned towards her aunt. 
Another set of letters is assembled by Frank and pushed toward Jane, but no one ever sees them, and she pushes them away without looking at them herself. According to Austin family tradition, the final word that Frank Churchill showed Jane Fairfax was pardon, but this is nowhere documented in any of Jane Austen's writings. So there are now two mysteries here, the word play with the word blunder and the previous mystery about Mr. Perry's setting up his carriage. When he has an opportunity, Mr. Knightley speaks with Emma. My dear Emma, said he at last with earnest kindness, do you think you perfectly understand the degree of acquaintance between the gentleman and lady we have been speaking of? Between Mr. Frank Churchill and Miss Fairfax? Oh, yes, perfectly. Why do you make a doubt of it? Have you never at any time had reason to think that he admired her or that she admired him? Never, never, she cried with the most open eagerness. Never for the twentieth part of a moment did such an idea occur to me, and how could it possibly come into your head? I have lately imagined that I saw symptoms of attachment between them, certain expressive looks, which I do not believe meant to be public. Oh, you amuse me excessively. I am delighted to find that you can vouchsafe to let your imagination wander, but it will not do. Very sorry to check you in your first essay, but indeed, it will not do. There is no admiration between them, I do assure you. And she goes on to say that they are as far from any attachment or admiration for one another as any two beings in the world can be. That is, I presume it to be so on her side, and I can answer for its being so on his. I will answer for the gentleman's indifference. She spoke with a confidence which staggered, with a satisfaction which silenced Mr. Knightley. End quote. Chapter 6 is a much longer chapter and an important one. Mrs. Elton has proposed that a gathering take place on Box Hill, a famous gathering and picnicking area, but she had hoped to be able to invite her relatives, the Sucklings, and they are not able to attend. Eventually, the group decides to pick strawberries at Donwell Abbey, Mr. Knightley's residence. This is the first time we've actually traveled to Donwell Abbey, which is described in some detail. It is much larger than Hartfield, as are its grounds. Mr. Knightley has thoughtfully taken care of Mr. Woodhouse's needs, whom he knows would rather not be out of doors. So he has arranged for him some antiques, curios, and books with which Mr. Woodhouse can amuse himself while the group is outside picking strawberries. We see more of Mrs. Elton's rude and pretentious behavior. She keeps referring to Mr. Knightley as Knightley, and she continues to press a situation upon Jane Fairfax. Quote, Seats tolerably in the shade were found, and now Emma was obliged to overhear what Mrs. Elton and Jane Fairfax were talking of. A situation, a most desirable situation, was in question. Mrs. Elton had received notice of it that morning and was in raptures. It was not with Mrs. Suckling. It was not with Mrs. Bragg. But in felicity and splendor, it fell short only of them. It was with a cousin of Mrs. Bragg, an acquaintance of Mrs. Suckling, a lady known at Maple Grove. Delightful, charming, superior, first circles, spheres, lines, ranks, everything. 
And Mrs. Elton was wild to have the offer closed with immediately. On her side, all was warmth, energy, and triumph, and she positively refused to take her friend's negative, though Miss Fairfax continued to assure her that she would not at present engage in anything, repeating the same motives which she had been heard to urge before. Still, Mrs. Elton insisted on being authorized to write an acquaintance by the morrow's post. How Jane could bear it all was astonishing to Emma. She did look vexed, she did speak pointedly, and at last, with a decision of action unusual to her, proposed a removal. Should not they walk? Would not Mr. Knightley show them the gardens, all the gardens? She wished to see the whole extent. The pertinacity of her friend seemed more than she could bear. End quote. Notice the narrator's word choices here. Mrs. Elton is in raptures, was wild to have the offer closed with immediately. Emma feels genuine sympathy toward Jane as she hears their conversation. Jane, appearing upset, comes to Emma and privately asks her, Will you be so kind when I am missed as to say that I am going home? I am going this moment. My aunt is not aware how late it is, nor how long we have been absent. Emma generously offers her a ride home in her carriage. In fact, she pleads with her to allow her to call for the carriage, but Jane insists that the walk will do her good and refresh her. So Jane leaves the party and Frank arrives about a quarter of an hour later. He has not been there before this, and when he comes, he is in an agitated state, complaining about the heat. I'm at one as I came. Madness in such weather. Absolute madness. He is quite grouchy and irritable. When people offer him food, he is not hungry, or it will only make him hotter. And as he continues to display bad manners, Emma thinks to herself, I am glad I have done being in love with him. I should not like a man who is so soon discomposed by a hot morning. Harriet's sweet, easy temper will not mind it. Toward the end of the chapter, after Frank has had some refreshments and is a little more composed, Emma and Frank have this conversation. We are going to Box Hill tomorrow. You will join us. It is not Switzerland, but it will be something for a young man so much in want of a change. You will stay and go with us? No, certainly not. I shall go home in the cool of the evening. But you may come again in the cool of tomorrow morning. No, it will not be worthwhile. If I come, I shall be cross. Then pray stay at Richmond. But if I do, I shall be crosser still. I can never bear to think of you all here without me. These are difficulties which you must settle for yourself. Choose your own degree of crossness. I shall press you no more. End quote. In fact, Emma is becoming rather annoyed with Frank's irritability and the way he casts a cloud on the whole party. And this will set the stage for the all-important visit to Box Hill to be discussed in the next chapter. <laughs>